Hello and welcome to the Rudo Love Podcast, my series of interviews and anecdotes tailored for the inquisitive souls of today. I'm hoping this episode provides you a sense of magic. Though the excerpt is short, I wanted to keep true to my weekly episode and serve you up something you could listen to whilst gardening, cleaning, walking, commuting. Now, as a backstory into my show, I have these two things, interviews and anecdotes, because I love those two things. I love the chemistry of myself with others, and I like that you all like the sound of my voice. So my anecdotes are, for the most part, a, chem- a, a spectrum of different ways I can play with my voice. Someone recently wrote to me saying, you could be an ASMR celebrity. <laughs> Another person, a dear friend, said, you could read a list of ingredients and I'd be happy. So with that in mind, I aim to enjoy my reading off a list of words. This week's anecdote is a small excerpt from The Secret Garden. Now, as per Wikipedia, The Secret Garden is a novel by Francis Hodgson's Burnett, but first published in book form in 1911 after serialization in the American magazine. Set in England, it is one of Burnett's most popular novels and seen as a classic of English children's literature. Now, I do apologize, dear listeners, because I'm an actress and I feel like it was supposed to be my thespian oath to attempt all accents and dialects to help regionalize a scene as it was originally intended. But you see, I work an eight to four job. I am primary caregiver for a seven-year-old wizard. I am a weekend podcaster. This is my fourth or fifth job, so to speak. So no, I don't go method and I won't be reading the Secret Garden's characters' voices in their respective accents. Though, I confess, I dabbled. I really enjoyed learning about Yorkshire accents and how a vowel like oh, like country, can be like that and then ah, like last. What an accent. It's just a little bit too hard for this part-time caster. So it's just my Rudo accent for you today. A small excerpt, just like my kiddo gets at bedtime. There's a lot going on in my life right now. And I really feel like the secret garden, in particular, the scene feels like a silent wish I impart upon myself to continuously explore and unearth that which feels stagnant or locked away. So without further ado, chapter eight, the Robin almost towards the end, page 95. One of the nice little gusts of wind rushed down the walk, and it was a stronger one than the rest. It was strong enough to wave the branches of the trees, and it was more than strong enough to sway the trailing sprays of untrimmed ivy hanging from the wall. Mary stepped close to the robin, and suddenly the gust of wind swung aside some loose ivy trails. And more suddenly still, she jumped toward it and caught it in her hand. This she did, she because she had seen something under it. A round knob which had been covered by the leaves hanging over it. It was the knob of a door. She put her hands under the leaves and began to pull and push them aside. Thick as the ivy hung, it nearly all was a loose and swinging curtain, though some had crept over wood and iron. 
Mary's heart began to thump and her hands to shake a little in her delight and excitement. The robin kept singing and twittering away and tilting his head on one side as if he were as excited as she was. What was this under her hands? What was this square made of iron which her fingers found a hole in? It was the lock of the door, which had been closed ten years, and she put her hand in her pocket, drew out the key, and found it fitted the keyhole. She put the key in and turned it. It took two hands to do it, but it did turn. And then, as she took a long breath and looked behind her up along the walk to see if anyone was coming, no one was coming. No one ever did come, it seemed. And she took another long breath because she could not help it, and she held back the swinging curtain of ivy and pushed back the door, which opened slowly, slowly. Then she slipped through it and shut it behind her and stood with her back against it, looking about her and breathing quite fast with excitement and wonder and delight. She was standing inside the secret garden. Chapter 9. The Strangest House Anyone Ever Lived In It was the sweetest, most mysterious-looking place anyone could imagine. The high walls which shut it in were covered with the leafless stems of climbing roses, which were so thick that they were matted together. Mary Lennox knew they were roses because she had seen a great many roses in India. All the ground was covered with grass of a wintry brown, and out of it grew clumps of bushes which were surely rose bushes if they were alive. There were numbers of standard roses, which had so spread their branches that they were like little trees. There were other trees in the garden, and one of the things which made the place look strangest and loveliest was that climbing roses had run all over them and swung long tendrils which made light swaying curtains, and here and there they had caught at each other, or at a far-reaching branch, and had crept from one tree to another and made lovely bridges of themselves. There were neither leaves nor roses on them now, and Mary did not know whether they were dead or alive, but their thin gray or brown branches and sprays looked like a sort of hazy mantle spreading over everything, walls and trees, and even brown grass, where they had fallen from their fastenings and run along the ground. It was this hazy tangle from tree to tree which had made it all look so mysterious. Mary had thought it must be different from other gardens which had not been left all by themselves so long, and indeed it was different from any other place she had ever seen in her life. How still it is, she whispered. How still. Then she waited a moment and listened at the stillness. The robin, who had flown to his treetop, was still as all the rest. He did not even flutter his wings. He sat without stirring and looked at Mary. No wonder it is still, she whispered again. I am the first person who has spoken in here for ten years. She moved away from the door, stepping as softly as if she were afraid of awakening someone. She was glad that there were grass under her feet and that her steps made no sound. She walked under one of the fairy-like gray arches between the trees and looked up at the sprays and tendrils which formed them. I wonder if they are all quite dead, she said. Is it all a quite dead garden? I wish it wasn't. 
If she had been Ben Weatherstaff, she could have told whether the wood was alive by looking at it at all. But she could only see that there were gray or brown sprays and branches, and none showed any signs of even a tiny leaf bud anywhere. But she was inside the wonderful garden, and she would come through the door under the ivy any time, and she felt as if she had found a world all her own. The sun was shining inside the four walls, and the high arc of blue sky above this particular piece of Mithelswaite seemed even more brilliant and soft than it was over the moor. The robin flew down from his treetop and hopped about, or flew after her, from one bush to another. He chirped a good deal, and had a very busy air, as if he were showing her things. Everything was strange and silent, and she seemed to be hundreds of miles away from anyone, but somehow she did not feel lonely at all. All that troubled her was her wish that she knew whether all the roses were dead, or if perhaps some of them had lived and might put out leaves and buds as the weather got warmer. She did not want it to be a quite dead garden. If it were a quite alive garden, how wonderful it would be, and what thousands of roses would grow on every side. Her skipping rope had hung over her arm when she came in, and after she walked about for a while, she thought she would skip round the whole garden, stopping when she wanted to look at things. There seemed to have been grass paths here and there, and in one or two corners there were alcoves of evergreen with stone seats or tall moss-covered flower urns in them. As she came near the second of these alcoves, she stopped skipping. There had once been a flower bed in it, and she thought she saw something sticking out of the black earth, some sharp little pale green points. She remembered that Ben Weatherstaff had said and she knelt down to look at them. Yes, they were tiny growing things, and they might be crocuses, or snowdrops, or daffodils. She bent very close to them and sniffed the fresh scent of damp earth. She liked it very much. Perhaps there are some other ones coming up in other places, she said. I will go all over the garden and look. She did not skip, but walked. She went slowly and kept her eyes on the ground. She looked in the old border beds and among the grass, and after she'd gone round trying to miss nothing, she found ever so many more sharp, pale green points, and she had become quite excited again. It isn't a quite dead garden, she cried softly to herself. Even if the roses are dead, there are other things alive. She did not know anything about gardening, but the grass seemed so thick in some of the places where the green points were pushing their way through that she thought they did not seem to have enough room to grow. She searched around until she found a rather sharp piece of wood and knelt down and dug and weeded out the weeds and grass until she made nice little clear places around them. Now they look as if they could breathe, she said, and after she had finished with the first ones, I am going to do ever so many more. I'll do all that I can see. If I haven't had time today, I can come tomorrow. <laughs>